been saying capo for so long, and I was corrected last night as I heard capo. But I love this man of God. I, I feel like, like he's a genuine brother. Like, there's like a brother spirit between you and me. And uh, I found out this morning I'm his older brother. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you let that be known, not me. <laughs> the record show. But we are we're brothers. And I sense that in the Lord there's just been a tying of our hearts, a uniting of our hearts to the things of God and remote Alaska in Alaska. And uh, maybe we became brothers because we muck it together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor Jimmy, we're brothers. We muck it together. <laughs> Pastor Shelby, we muck it. We need one here. We need one here. I agree. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> and then Pastor Shelby's wife, Josie, her, her late father, before he passed, he goes, that Pastor Muckley's with Jumpy. <laughs> he does. I agree. We need a Muckley here. Amen. But I think when you Muckley together, you just become become brothers. Someone in the back's going, what in the world is that? Someone in the, someone in the front's going, what in the world is that? I'm not going to tell you. It's a steam bath. When you steam bath, take a Muckley. Good stuff. What's that, brother? Firewood. Yes. yes. <laughs> with both you men of God, we've had times with Jesus in the mind. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Pastor Tim. Can I say something about that? Okay. You're already sweating just talking about it. It's, it's not. Um, um, one of the things I want to tell you about the mucky is. Um, um, it's, it's a place, the, the house alone, uh, where we, the men would gather, would take a fire bath. But in the off times, they would cover the floor, the fire pit. And that's where the women would gather and share their stories and teach each other how to sew. That's where the men would teach the young men and the boys to carve and build and teach them about life. And it's just like coming to church. Yeah. This is our muffin. Yeah. That's why we muffin. We tell each other, we encourage each other. We gather. We tell hunting stories. Whale hunting stories. Not seals. <laughs> But that's why I just want to tell you that, 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 that what monkey is for us. And that it was a spiritual thing that they would do, that men would do. And uh, mm. I just want to tell you that uh, his grandfather, who was a salmon, and uh, would practice some of the things, maybe in the fire breath, but mainly away and be alone. And would be tormented day and night by, by his demons until he came to the Lord. And uh, this is where. We need to be, or our people need to be. And I wanted to get up just earlier and, and say, there's something I need to pray about with the people here of the land. This is our home. This is our home. Our kids are going to live here. They're going to follow after us, but 
How do we want them to follow? What do we want to do, just like in the movie? First of all, we've got to break that, that thing that's been over our families and over our villages. And God says, I've given you my name to speak over your family, over your land. My grandfather would beat the drum and invite spirits to move. He was the doorway for them to move. They had to get permission from him to move on his land. That was his land. And this is our land. This is our land. God's call has raised us up for such a time as this. And we have to break that spirit that's over your life and over your family. It's been there too long. It's been there too long. I cry because I lose too many family members through suicide and murder. Instead of my nephew's funeral, I ministered to him. He was at camp and he was probably sat there with the brother Ian. And I don't say it's enough, Phil. Say it's enough. Amen. Stand with me before we hear the message, okay? Because I want God to, to, to I want God to, to, to move in our families, their villages. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time, Father. As the people of the land, we command you to let go of our people. You no longer have permission to move in our homes, in our villages, over this land. God, you walked on the land and you came. You said to son Jesus, and Jesus, this is our year. This we, we host you in our land, in our homes. Make yourself at home, Father. We give you permission. Father, in Jesus' mighty and holy, and we break this spirit that's been over our lives. I break this dark spirit that's over this land, over our communities, over our people, in Jesus' name. And Father, I want to hear clear. These things must go because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you for those that have come and ministered, God. Thank you for them that they have come because of your love for the people in the land. In Jesus' name, thank you for our pastors, our leaders. Ministers in Jesus' name. And to you, give all praise and glory. Father, in Jesus' name, everybody say amen. 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 This is mucky. Come on. Splash as much as you want. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> praise God. Well, what a joy to be here. Hallelujah. Praise God. And uh, as Pastor Austin was saying, Definitely brothers. Definitely brothers. And, uh, one of the things that's really impacted me is uh, I remember our Makai together, and uh, he was just uh, astounded because um, the way that, that I'm Makai is I, uh, whenever I want to splash water on myself, I do it. And uh, I know for many it's uh, possibly a point of pride. Or my, we. Uh, We'll stay as long as we can without doing it to show how strong we are. Well, so if you if you ever okay with me, I've got no pride in that. And uh, years ago, my father <clears throat> he would sit in uh, okay with uh, and my my dad's Puerto Rican actually, 100% Puerto Rican, and uh, he would okay in Igigig with all the the northern uh, natives that would come down to commercial fish, and so he knew. What they were trying to do, trying to trying to run them out. <laughs> he didn't say anything. 
but my father had had a very strong will, and there was no way, and he was the last one out. So I just received that uh, in my lineage, and so I've got no. <laughs> I, I do want to say before we get in the word, one more thing, uh, Pastor Doby, a story. Uh, you'll enjoy this. <clears throat> my friends were uh, up uh, Bashara Lake, which is which feeds the Igigig River where I grew up, but they're out in the tundra off of it and they came across a walrus rolling around in the tundra. So you're not as far off as they, people might make you think you are. Thank you, thank you, my brother. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Heidi, would you come and play just for a moment? Hallelujah. And uh, I'm gonna ask you, all those here this morning, You've got the freedom to pray in tongues. You've got that gift. Pray or sing in the Holy Ghost. Would you just take a moment and do that right now? And if you, I'll say this, if you don't, ask him. He wants to give you the gift. Ask him to fill you that gift to, to flow through you. But just for a moment, before we get into the Word, pray and sing in the Holy Spirit. really tapped 
intuitive flow in God's presence. Some things that, and the best way that I could consider it is some things of suffering that God has used to uh, open up a new, uh, a new flow of His Spirit in your life, and it's going to come out in your writing, and uh, you're going to be able to tie some things of theology to that of the Spirit in a very relatable way. And that there's a new way, really a new way that God has allowed you to see life, and it really is going to help a lot of people. Uh, so God, God would have you to put those things down, and I just pray God for it, God to be able to release all that You placed in His heart, Father, all that is in His, in his heart gift him to be able to put it down in such a way as to, to all those that read would be impacted by it. Father, I thank you for this. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. God, we just thank you. We thank you for what you've this morning. God, our remaining time together. Get a vision for what he's desiring to do. 
And I know Pastor Austin mentioned that to me, that he's led a lot through the area of visions. And what I saw as I prayed is, uh, I saw, have you ever been, maybe you're hunting or uh, fishing, you, you're, you're trying to see into a different area, but the grass is too tall, too tall the willows, the bushes, the banks. Uh, I've been many times uh, in, in a boat, uh, in a creek or in a river, and you just can't, you just can't see. Have you ever seen those boats where they've like welded the platform because it, it needs to be so high to be able to see beyond the edge of the bank? Um, but what I, what I felt like is that there are so many right now who in their life, and though, though you may be trusting in God and your faith is in Him, but it's as if that you, you can't see over the, what's in front of you. That there's, that there's something that's been blocking your view. And it's like that, that grass. It's like the, the branches that just you can't see further. And there's something that God wants to do this morning to be able to, to bring insight into this situation. Uh, but I want to tell a story related to that. Um, when I was a lot, a lot younger... Um, even though I am younger than Pastor Austin. When I was a lot younger, um, this is probably middle school, I was with my friend and his dad, and we were up a creek, we were looking for caribou. We were in a, a little zodiac raft, and um, just as I was talking about, the banks are high and the grass is high, so we've got to stop every now and then. We didn't have one of those fancy towers. We, we had to stop and climb up and try to look over the grass, and I remember... <coughs> Climbing up in one spot, and my friend's dad, he goes, he looks up, he's like, and he ducks back down, he says, there's a caribou, there's a caribou right there. So me and my friend get up, and we barely be able to see nothing. We look over the top of the grass, nothing. So we don't see anything. And he look up again, it's right there. <laughs> and we look again, nothing. And so he gets up, and, and it's a bush. <laughs> it's just formed just right. It looks like a caribou head. Uh, but it reminded me of how, how it can be very hard to see at times. And uh, it can be the same when we're faced uh, with, with suffering, uh, with health issues, financial issues, uh, things happening in our family. And um, I don't know about you, but have you ever asked the question? God, where are you? And I know Pastor Joby kind of mentioned that, talked on that this, this uh, last night. And if we're going to be honest, I think that many of us would say that. Mm -hmm. um, despair, discouragement. I found that one of the things that don't get talked enough, about enough in ministry is how leaders at, at whatever level all go through the same types of discouragement and suffering and, and struggle as every other person. I know many times people can, can look at that position and go, oh, they're walking on water. When more often than not, feeling like Peter, just trying to reach Jesus' hand while we're sinking. Come on. Come on. And I feel that many this morning over this year, and it may be compounded over years, really feel like they're in that place. Mm -hmm. it's, not that, it's not that you don't have faith in God, but you can't see beyond what's in front of you. Yes. Yes. 
And there are some things that, that we can do to be able to change our perspective and to change our view. And as we looked at Psalm chapter 3, if you know the history of the psalm, David is fleeing from his own son. Talk about family problems. <laughs> psalm 3, he writes, fleeing from his own son. And he says, and the key to what we're talking about this morning, verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. In other translations, the one, the lifter of my head. Right? If any of you have grown up New King James, like I did, New King James, NIV, that's, that's what it says, the lifter of my head. And so God, and I know, I can say that many of us have received those moments where you're reading a verse, maybe you're going through something, something's happening, you read a verse, and boom, he lifts your head, and you feel the presence of God, whatever, maybe faith comes, and then right back to the problem. He lifts your head, oh God, you're wonderful, and then before you know it, you've got the same view that you had. Nothing has changed. What God desires to do in our lives is to bring us to the place where we stay with our heads lifted. We stay with our heads held high. And, and one of the things I've seen over the past few years with all that's happened with, with COVID and, and many different things have happened. Um, is that there are many just struggling and just struggling and just struggling and praise God for the, your faith. Yes. You're trusting in God and you're holding on to Him. Yes. I like that footsteps um, story. Uh, pretty well known, right? You only see one foot, pair, set of footprints and it was because God carried you. I think that for me, um, it'd be more like, it looked like a battle took place with all the footprints. <laughs> And I, you know, would go turn to Jesus and be like, well, who were we fighting? I was just, Jesus, I was just trying to keep you from running off here and there and doing this and that. that that's more relatable to me. <clears throat> but he wants to be the continual lifter of your head. And, and instead of, of, of moments, moments of, of head lifting, a continual place in relationship with him, where you maintain his perspective. Yes. 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 So how do we do that? Now, let's see, I have a clock. Praise God. It won't take too long. Number one, we must fix our gaze. And there's really, for me, there's two aspects to that. One aspect of fixing is where it's broken and you've got to repair it. Right? You're, you're, maybe you're focused on something else. Uh, something else has caught your eye. Someone else. Um, you know, do you know that that is the reason the Bible says that the love of money is the root of evil? It's not that money is the problem. It's just we can get fixated on it. It can solve a lot of things. And we're like, okay, if I just had that. No, if you had Jesus, if you had him in that area of your life. That's why tithing and giving is so important. But another message. So we fix our gaze by recognizing that it's broken mm -hmm. and how, how, we could go on and on about how it gets broken, right? If you watch too much TV, your gaze will be broken. 
Because you'll be seeing from someone else's perspective and not God's perspective. Whatever is being pushed across the media. You know, why do Sprite commercials look so good? Because they, they work really hard to go. If they watch this, they're going to want Sprite. And so if you spend a lot of time on the internet, if you spend a lot of time on social media, you're going to be walking in someone else's perspective. And I'm not saying that necessarily all those things are bad, but we, we, you've got to pay attention to what's, what's the broken part. The second part of fixing your gaze is not just the repairing, but there's a fixing as in you're, you're setting uh, your sights, you're locking on so that that target stays your target. We've got some very cool weaponry in military today um, where they can lock on a target, you know, across the world. And, and that's where that thing is going to hit. We've got to fix our gaze. The Bible says we fix our gaze upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I love New Living, New Living Translation calls Jesus the champion in that, in, in that verse. We fix our gaze. We fix our gaze like David. And I know we read Psalm 3 talking about David. But David is really well known for his fight against Goliath. Mm -hmm. What I like about that <clears throat> is that David's perspective going into the battle against the giant, he wasn't fixated on the giant. When he comes before Goliath, in David's eyes, it wasn't a boy against a giant. It was a giant against God. Right. That was David's perspective. Because Goliath was not necessarily there to find David. He was there to find God and the armies of the living God, as David would say. And so David goes into this battle knowing, it's not mine, the battle is the Lord's. That this, it's not a boy against a giant, it's a giant against God. And where a boy against a giant is laughable, a giant against God, just no, there's no chance. That was David's perspective. He, he, his gaze was fixed upon God, which changed his perspective of the battle. The problem with Saul and the rest of the army is they only saw was a giant. Yeah. It was just so big. He was so, it's right in front of him, huge. But David had his eyes fixed upon God. How do you fix your gaze? Number of ways. I think this morning was a prime example of one of the ways you do so through praise and worship. I know people that write that part off in church like they show up at the end of worship. They know how long it's going to be. So they show up at the end. But what many don't understand, though, is the reason, and there is a reason, that we start services with praise and worship. It's because we got to get our eyes fixed upon Him. we got to get our eyes off of ourselves and off of our problems and off of the things of the world. I don't know about you, and if I'm going to be transparent, it takes oftentimes two or three songs before I shake off a lot of the issues. A lot of It's the back of my head looking good for all the people behind me. All these kind of things that come up during praise and worship. We actually, years ago, as a, a 
different church, and you don't know the people, praise the Lord. But um, there was this couple there having some marriage problems, and and uh, she was mad at him again, and uh, she was mad because he she noticed that that when a certain other woman was in church, he praised more exuberantly. So during praise and worship, we can get focused on a lot of things. The purpose is to get our focus back upon God. And I'm telling you, if, this, if coming to church is the only time there's worship and there's praise to God in your life, you, you're going to have problems because your gaze is not fixed upon, uh, upon the one, upon the, the author and the finisher of your faith. You've got to, it's that praise that brings us into His presence. We had a talk, I don't know, I remember who I was talking to, but what you praise in your life is what will manifest. That's right. Amen. Yep. Um, if you're focused on demonic things, that's what's going to happen. If that's all you talk about, that's what's going to happen. You know why in the end of October, strange stuff tends to happen? Well, because people are fixated on it. But we've got people here today that are focused upon Jesus that are here on a Sunday morning to worship the Lord and receive something from Him. And you know, He responds to that. And we've taken all this time already this morning and last night just to go, we want more. God. Have your way in me. Come and fill this place. And He responds. Praise. Prayer, of course. Prayer. Prayer, I think we can very easily take it to a place of I just bring my things to God and, and um, you know, if you've got time, would you look at them at least? And instead, it's supposed to be, and just this is how I, I perceive it, just spending time. It's like, how are you doing? Much, much prayer time just is relegated to bringing all the things and all the problems to God, though we need to do that. Don't get me wrong. Don't get it twisted this morning. We bring them to God. There's not a thing that he's... Uh, um, I used to, because of theology, there's certain things I just wouldn't bring to God. Like the real deep, difficult things. Where I wonder, okay, how come this person died and not that person? This person loved the Lord. You know, you can bring those things to God and he's, he's, not, he's not offended about it and he's not hurt that you do so. He actually wants you to bring them so he can touch that place. And if we don't bring it to him, it, it can become a problem where we focus on that. When we bring it to him, we can focus upon him while we're in the midst of it. It, it reminds me of um, uh, Bethel. Bethel Church had developed a, a type of, of counseling called, I think it was Sozo. I was never a part of it, but I heard of it. But what they would do is they talked to people about their trauma and their things and what, what they went through that was causing an issue in their life and their emotions. And then they would say, where is Jesus in that? Where do you see Jesus? Mm -hmm. And what would then happen is that they recognize that and they, Jesus, you know, they would, they would have a vision really of him in that situation and it would bring healing to them. When we bring those things to him, it changes. We're not just fixed, and it's not separated from him anymore. This hurt and this thing that's such a big part of my life, it's not separated now. He's a part of it, and he's helping me work through it. The prayer, not, not just um, unrelationally bringing a list of things. You bring a list, but it's 
the, the model for Jesus is our Father who art in heaven. That's how the model for prayer. Our Father. He begins with relationship. Not a, a distant God that just set things spinning and say, good luck. Yeah. I hope you do good. If you don't, I'm going to strike you down. I want to be intimately a part of your life. The God who said, let there be light. And there was light wants to come and speak into your life. In your situation. And that's the place of prayer. That's, that's why, again, talking about Jesus' model for prayer. He says, when you pray, not if you pray. Notice that. When you pray, go into the secret place. Your Father who is in the secret place will reward you. Will meet you there. And if you're real, um, I'm very literal. God, where is the secret place? Please define for me. I need to know the definition. And he spoke to me. The reason that it's undefined is because it's unique to you. See, I can't prescribe to you my secret place with God because he meets me the way that, that I need. That, that there's a uniqueness in our relationship. Yes. And, he, and, and though I can model going to the secret place, your secret place is going to be different. And it's in that place God meets you. And even the difficult things, the hard things, the things that you don't want to bring up to yourself, He'll deal with and bring healing. We fix our gaze also upon Him through the Word, through the Bible, through Scripture. Yes. He'll reveal himself. And, and what happened for me for many years is I, I was always one who loved the word and I would read the word. And especially when I really needed it, right? <laughs> Things were going poorly and I would get a he encouraged me. And I wouldn't read as much. It's kind of the same for prayer at that time. Pray when I really needed him to show up. I'll be fasting, hallelujah. And then things would get good and I would not be praying so much. And then the word so much. Uh-huh. And then what would happen? My life looked like a roller coaster. My emotions, oh God. And then, oh, he's here at all. Because there wasn't a, a constant discipline in the things of God that, that caused my faith to stay at a level where I'm seeing from his perspective and my gaze is fixed upon him. And one of the problems I see today is we had the, all these generations go... It's Christianity. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And really it was a pushback against a lot of theology. A lot of, um, a lot of very heavy um, theology that was coming out that, that um, was, I, I think, hindered relationship. And so it, it was just a veering in the wrong direction. Just too far in that direction. And so, yes, we know that Christianity... We follow Jesus. It's a relationship. But did you know that the things that people consider religion are the disciplines that we do that maintain the relationship? There are things that, that I do okay, that, that maintain this right here. You know, if I didn't do them, there'd be problems. Right? And, I did, and if I kept that up, there'd be no relationship. Oh, that's, that's too religious. No, I love my wife. And I want to know what she likes and what she doesn't like. Because I love her. Amen. And so people that go, it's, it's a relationship. It's not religion. 
It's the things that of discipline that keep the relationship, that keep you from running off to other things. The, the, the Old Testament, I really like, the, the, talks about it as adultery. Um, I, I also in the New Testament, running off to other things other than God. The Word lets us know more about Him, what He likes, what He doesn't like, what pleases Him, what doesn't please Him. And, and automatically when I begin to talk about living a life as the Word prescribes it, which is holiness, living holy, automatically I get people that go, well, what's by grace? It's God, by His grace that we're saved. Not works. Amen. But it's the things that we do that keep our relationship with God. Our daily relationship and keep our faith with Him. One of the things I see in, in, in Christianity in general. Is that, that, that belief of. And, and it is the foundation. Understand. Don't, don't take what I'm saying the wrong way. The foundation is we are saved by His grace. There's nothing we can do to earn it. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that if you're going to maintain a relationship with God consistently on a daily basis where He's moving in power in your life and He's impacting those around you and your emotional, your emotions are healthy and your family is healthy, there's a consistency and holiness that's required. Yes. It's not that we're working, oh, if I just do good enough, we'll make it to heaven. That doesn't work at all. I heard it. I heard a great example, and many of you probably have heard it, but uh, there's a really great preacher, Alistair Begg, and we don't agree on a number of things, which is fine. There are some things, though, that God's really given him some um, great revelation of. He's a tremendous preacher. But um, talking about the story of Jesus on the cross, and if you know the story, there are uh, two criminals on each side of Jesus in the story, and, and one of them responds to Jesus and says, hey, when you enter into your kingdom, when you enter into your kingdom, don't forget about me. Paraphrase, that's my paraphrase. Mm -hmm. good. But Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Mm -hmm. He didn't do anything. He didn't have time to get baptized. Right. He didn't have time. He just, he had faith in who he was, who Jesus was. Hey, so Alistair Maggie tells us, the story of a perspective of that man coming to the pearly gates, coming to the gates of heaven, and there's an angel there. And none of this is strictly theological, okay? It's just a story. But he gets to the gates, and the angel there is, okay, uh, what did you do to get here? What doctrine did you follow? You know, what's your theology on this, on original sin, and how you dealt with that in your life? And, and, and the guy says... I don't know any of that. The, the, the man on the middle cross said I could come. <laughs> it's not a theological ascent. It's the man on the middle cross said I could come. So, so I, I share that to say, you know, we don't come to some theological moment where we all of a sudden, oh, everything opens up and we can we did good enough and get into heaven. We're, we're saved. By His grace, his, our faith in Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. And He rose so now I can rise. I can be resurrected as well. That's 
salvation. However, if you're going to live a victorious Christian life where you're making an impact for the kingdom, there has got to be a consistency in holiness, daily holiness. You know, he says, be holy for I'm holy. I was going to stand on a chair like Pastor um, Jimmy does, but I don't have as much faith in chairs as I do in the Lord. But I used to, it used to be from a perspective, I would hear that verse, be holy, for I'm holy. Be holy, for I'm holy. Try to come up to me. You'll never make it. You can never be holy like me, but try. That's how I interpreted that. Until I begin to have a real relationship with him, where he says, he says, uh, be holy. I'm holy. I'm in you. And my holiness is, is available to you. You can today and tomorrow and the next day. You don't have to give in to that sin. Actually, I've broken the power of sin and that bondage that you were once in. You're no longer in that bondage. I've set you free and empowered you now to live in holiness. That is the same. Be holy for I'm holy. It's not a one day. It's today. You choose to be holy. So we fix our gaze. We fix it because it's broken. And, and I'll tell you, it's consistent fixing. Because there's a lot of things in the world that's defined. I, I've spent a lot of time over the years as a volunteer, uh, firefighter, and, and uh, ETT, doing EMS work. Right? And so my brother, I, I, I know. There's a lot of things that happen that um, you need your, your, your gaze repaired when you see the very broken things of our society and, and things that happen, the dark things. And I, I would even go as far to say that many of us who have grown up in villages have seen some things and experienced some things that have filtered and, and colored how we see Jesus and how we see life. And what he wants to do is to repair that. And again, listen, it's a continual work. It's not, oh, I'm healed. And that's amazing, those moments. But there's a continual healing and a restoration that he's doing. That was mentioned either earlier today or last night. The renewing of our mind, that renewing comes through the word, through a consistent diet of the word. Can I tell you why I read New Living Translation? I love theology. I love big words. I, I really do. My wife's like, sometimes I have no idea what you're talking about. Right? And, and I have to, con- you know. She would at times feel bad about that. But like, the problem is that if, I don't, if I'm not able to say it in a way that people can understand it, do I, I don't really know it. I don't really know it. Um, but I love theology and I love, I love things like that. New Living Translation for me says it very plainly. I, 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 I love to read it. Not, not necessarily study. I just love to read it. There's a time for study. And for those that preach a lot, um, you know, I preach often at least three times a week. Sometimes it's four. Sometimes it's five. I love it. it that fires me up. I love it. I never get tired of it. I'm so thankful that I'm not, I'm not going to share that because I've got a whole other thing and I've only been on Point one this whole time. 
I love New Living Translation because I can just read it. And I'm not trying to. There are times where I love, I spend a lot of time studying. But also I have to read the word for me. Yes. And, and ultimately when I'm reading it, he's going to open it up. And, and, and a lot of what I end up preaching about comes just from my own quiet time in the word. And, and then the study comes later. But the daily diet of being in the word, I used to do it very... I would say religiously, but there needs to be that discipline just because just because I knew I needed to do it. It's like um, the pirates of the first pirates of the Caribbean uh, movie. They're in a raft, and one of them's got a Bible, and the other's like, "You don't even know how to read." He says, "This is the Bible. You get points for trying." <laughs> That's kind of how I approached it for a while. Well, I just know I need it. I gotta get my chapters in so I'm not gonna so I can make it to heaven. But now I just I just I love it. And I spend time in it because I need it. Because you know my kids need me to be in the word every day. My wife needs me to be in the word every day. I, I I'm I'm not the me that, that I there is a difference between me and the me I am daily in Christ, where his faith is released in my life and I'm responding like him. Like he's intended me to respond. Number two. We're talking again, because I've said a lot of things. We're talking again about lifting our gaze. Keeping it lifted. Keeping your head high. Because there are things in life that, that cause you just to, I don't know if you had this happen. Just life is like this. I guess before two, I'll tell you another story. Our first church we pastored in Delta Junction years ago. We had a family that came to church every Sunday. And for all the pastors and leaders in here, praise God, they came to church. Well, they would come every Sunday and they'd sit in the back like this. What are you going to say today? And back then, how old, how old? mid-twenties. Okay, they, their kids were almost our age, so they're just, what is this whippersnapper going to say? And um, I found that I, I started preaching like this. And I would share, and I would just, and I'm realizing, God, I can't do this. The, the shame of my perception of how they were perceiving me isn't that how it is, right? Not necessarily something they said, but my perception of their perception, how I'm viewing them, viewing me. <laughs> and I just, there was so much shame. Just looking down. I remember it was a Sunday morning. Inside I said, God, I can't do this anymore. You have to help me. So it was afterwards, I usually just kept preaching. You'll never know. I mean, you might know, some of you, the things that go through a preacher's mind while they're preaching. Uh, They chose to wear that today? (laughs) I wasn't thinking that. so. So that afternoon, I went out in the woods. I don't know where God meets with you, but I went out in the woods. I, I play a Native American wind flute. Maybe one of these service will 
I'll play it. But um, just went out and played and talked to the Lord. And what he did in me in that time uh, has really has directed my life ever since. He said to me, just to make it short, he said to me, Son, did I, did I tell you to preach the word? Did I call you to do it? Yeah, I, I, I know. I know. He called me. There's no question about it. I just knew. Did I preach, tell you to preach that? Well, yeah, I, yeah, I prayed and I took a lot of time. God, I felt like that's the word that you had. And who cares? <laughs> I don't know if he talks to you like he talks to me, but he says, who cares? Yeah. Come on, yeah. And I, I'm working on them, not, not you. You do what I told you to do. And so my vision and my, my perspective of myself began to change. It's not what you think of me, even though I know you love me. It's what he says. So back to this, getting the right perspective, keeping our heads lifted. You must get his vision. Get his vision for your life, for your family, for your ministry. What does that mean? What is God's vision for your life? Well, I don't know. What have you asked him? It's like when I talk to people, you know, one day I want to start a business. Okay, well, what's it going to take to do that? I don't know. Well, you're not going to do it. You're just not going to do it. If you haven't counted the cost yet, then you're not going to do it. If if there's something hindering you in your relationship with God, well, what are you doing about it? How are you going to get a vision from him? How are you going to, there's there's things. I love it. It was Lou Angel, I believe, who said God had a vision and wrapped you in it. He had things that he wanted to do in the earth and said, oh, this I'm going to put all the right giftings and the personality in them. And then you know what? This time in history, I'm going to send them into the world to do these specific things for my kingdom. If you didn't know, that's what happened. He says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you hope, to give you a future. There are things, I love it, it was already quoted by Pastor Jimmy. Could it be that you were made for such a time as this? Uh, I, I have people that are like, the world is so bad. If only I lived in a different time. Well, God intended for you to be here right now. He said, I need Jimmy. I need, oh, I need, I need Terry. I need these. I, I, there's things that are happening in the world today that I need. This is the time for them. But you've got to get his vision. I don't know about you, but I stand a lot of time like this. <laughs> my hair not right and as soon as you step out of here ladies right you see the wind just like, all right well people are just going to have to live with it but uh, we look at ourselves there's no greater critic i think we're worse on ourselves than the devil is i mean he can't whisper to you the things that you're whispering to yourself Anybody hear what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. And uh, he wants us. He said, he said, look at me. Get my vision. I got a little bit. I'll tell another story. I know I tell a lot of stories, but Jesus told a lot of stories and I'm trying to be like him. That's the hair and the beard. (laughs) Pastor Daniel's son. Daniel calls me native Jesus. Uh, Come on. There was a time when Peter, I, and this is this is my understanding of it, Peter was done in the ministry. Yeah. The apostle Peter. Yes, he was. 
he denied knowing Jesus. I mean, while Jesus was still alive, he denied knowing Jesus three times, even though he was foretold already that it would happen. Right. He told me. I still did. Anybody ever been to that place? I, I, I knew what I was supposed to do, but I, I, again, I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And he was done. The Bible says that he went back to fishing. If you read the stories, even after Jesus, he knew Jesus had been resurrected. He went, I'm going to just, I mean, my ministry is done. I'm going to go back to what I know how to do. I'm going to go fish. And so he's out there fishing. And Jesus is walking on the beach. And they don't recognize him. They don't recognize him right off the bat. And... Um, getting into so many different things, but many times you don't see Jesus in the things that are happening in your life, but he's trying to bring about something that that you don't know, you don't realize is happening yet. So Jesus is walking on the beach. They're out on the water. Did you catch anything? No. Put the nets out again. What happens? And my kids sing that song, but this is the second time that this miracle happens, and Peter's like, "This is Jesus!" Right? He jumps out the boat. He's, he swims there. It says by the time the rest of the disciples get there, they're already sitting down. And Jesus has made food. Praise the Lord! I love to cook too. So again, another point where I'm becoming more like Jesus. Um, hey, they ate a lot. I'm just saying. Communion today is not like it was then. He's sitting with Jesus, and in this story, Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? Imagine being Peter. The stuff that he did. The stuff that he said. And I never knew that Jesus. Don't Don't relate me to him. Um, Jesus, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Mm-hmm. Peter, do you love me? Three times. Yep. But you know, after every time, and, 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 uh, and uh, uh, not just one time, Peter's got to respond three times. I, I don't know why you're asking me. I, I, of course, I love you. Even though I didn't, I, I love you. But every time, for the three times that he denied knowing Jesus, Jesus reiterated to him or, or spoke back into his life the original calling of what God had, what he had called him to do in the first place. Even though he blew it, Jesus reinstated the vision for his life. This is who you are. I believe there's some here this morning that maybe some things have happened, whether they happened to you or Something that you've done. God still wants to restore you in your purpose. He wants to restore the vision to you. And many times we can have so much of ourselves and our problems and our things and finances and health right in front of us that we can't see the vision. Mm-hmm. True. We need his vision. Last. Amen. Well, maybe second to last. <laughs> Stay in fellowship. Stay in fellowship. And that's a, uh, that means a lot to me. 
Um, stay in fellowship as one. You get people around you, godly, faith-filled people around you to keep speaking into your life, to tell you that we so often have called it um, the hold-your-shut-up card, and when you start saying things about yourself that aren't true, is hey, shut up. That's not you. That's not who you are. Even that thing that you're doing, hey, that's not who you are. You get people around you. I'll say I don't hang out with negative people. I'm so glad that I get to stay in your home with you and your wife and your kids. And you, people full of faith that challenge me. And my, that's what you need. Yeah. That's who I spend time. I want to rub shoulders. With, I want to be around that so that it gets yes. onto my life. If you get around negative people, you're going to be negative. Mm-hmm. God ain't never going to do anything for me. I just have done so much in my life and all this thing. My, my family's never done anything. You get around faith-filled people that begin to speak into you the promises of God and the purposes of God for your life and pray for you, lay hands on you, cast out those things that are speaking negatively into your life. Have that, but I'll also say, you have that close fellowship, but you go to church. I'm hoping that I'm talking to a bunch of people today that you go consistently to church. But if I'm not, I want you to hear me. Go to church. Keep going. Keep showing up. Keep serving. Listen, those, if you will do that, I mean, we were talking about this before. That's pretty much my testimony. I showed up in church one day and they needed help. And I was, I didn't have it all together and we were doing a lot of things wrong. But I showed up and I said, I can help. And I started helping. And they started helping me and I started living right. And we just kept showing up and doing the next thing and the next thing and helping where we can. And we were, every service we were in, and it, that's how we are doing what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. One of the problems that we run into is we've got people that go from church to church to church to home group and do this and do that. And, and yes, I know that that um, we're you know that there is the wider body of Christ that is the church but you must be connected to a specific body because when you do so there's a really there's a covering there's an anointing upon that body that that transfers over your life and and you be able or you're able to become a part of that body and there are people that see you every week that go hey something's not right and they're not looking the same hey are you okay and I'm sorry, that can be kind of scary. But we need that. I sharing this the other day, you know, if you have a strong social network, there's this huge study, well-proven study, that says it, will, it can increase your longevity by 50%. Life. So you were projected to die at 60, that's 90. That's 50. That's the extra 50, Right? Do you know what this is right here? If you allow it to be a strong social network. This is outside of just the benefits from being in a place where the Holy Spirit comes and you receive healing, you receive restoration. That's just secular understanding of of social network. I'm not going to tell you the statistic for isolation because I don't want you to get discouraged. Come to church. Go to church. Come on. Keep going to church. I know people are like, well, he's a pastor. Of course he's going to say that. He wants people to be in the church. I've lived long enough in ministry now where I've seen families who go to church. 
Mm-hmm. Keep going to church. Come on. God touches their life. Saves their families. Yeah. Their, their children are happy and healthy yeah. and go on to serve God and do things for the kingdom. Right. And they get to be able to see. And it is amazing. They have a huge effect for the kingdom. And then I see people that, that don't go to church or it's sporadically and nothing good. It, it doesn't change. There was a family. This recently just happened, so it's very close to me. But uh, many years ago, we were in a church with them, and they were serving God. Their kids were young, and they were just starting their business, and they were tithing, and they were giving, and they were in everything, and they were becoming leaders. And uh, But then, you know, God blessed them. Praise God. Mm. But their business got to be too much. So they, they didn't come to all the services. And, you know, God really blessed their kids, and their kids were doing amazing in sports. Well, they couldn't make it to Sunday because the kids had sports and they were traveling. And, and over time, they weren't in church at all. Okay. Fast forward 10 years, 12 years, the dad's dead. Overdosed. The kids are all broken apart on drugs. One of them was paralyzed from the waist down. Smiling. I'm not. I'm not playing around. I'm not trying to. To oh, come to church so that we look good. Can I tell you? You ask Pastor Austin. Pastor Chen. They've seen it over the years. They've been around long enough to go. Keep coming. Keep coming. You just wait. Watch what God's gonna do. Keep coming. When they tell you that. Don't think that they're just trying. They want to see God's plan and will done in your life and multiply. Stay in fellowship. Lastly, Minister Heidi, would you come and please deliver these people? I would just keep adding points. Like I said, I love preaching the word, and so I don't get tired of it. Never get burnt out on it. I love it. Lastly, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. I I played church for many years. I went to a lot of churches, and I could play it real good. I I could say all the things. You put me in leadership. I deal with drugs in the parking lot. Oh, yeah. Now we're talking. (laughs) Sacrilege. Until I went to a Holy Ghost-filled church. That prayed for me, laid hands on me, and those demonic things that had directed my life for so long were broken off of me. And I was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. I didn't want to do those things anymore. That there was a there was something down within me that empowered me to holiness and to righteousness. And that there was within me where there wasn't before, there was within me a vision. Oh man, God wants me to do something. You know, back then, I couldn't even just talk to one person. I, I grew up in a village of, I think it was 75 people at the time. That's how I grew up. Actually, we lived on the other side of the river from the village. And there was only three families that lived in the winter on that side. And so when we moved to Wasilla, where, I, from a high school, I was in high school at the time, sophomore year, there was three kids in high school. Any gig then. We would fly to play three man volleyball. It's a little different. 
when I moved to Wasilla, there was 1,500 kids in high school. I didn't know I had a social problem. Now I gotta talk to somebody, I was related to most people. I, in the village, now I gotta talk to somebody I don't know. And uh, it was so bad that certain lunch periods, I'd eat my lunch in the bathroom stall. I, I didn't know how to just talk to somebody. Okay, so fast forward, and this is where I'm going with this. Filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. And God put something in me, I called you to preach the word. I can't even, God, um, I can't even talk to one person. You, you got the wrong one. But even, even though I struggled with believing that over time, going to church, being in the Word, right? Being in prayer, doing the things, He changed my vision. I said, okay, okay. I'll try. I'll try. So the opportunities would come up and I'd, I'd get out there. You know, there's people still quoting things from the first message I preached. In a youth group years ago, I didn't think it was that great. But I just heard someone this last week quote it. I'm not trying to say something about myself. Because yeah. I, <laughs> just to come up, I need him. Just to talk to people. I mean, still to this day, I, oh God, I get up in the morning, God, you'd help me. I know that I'm supposed to love people. <laughs> it's hard to love them from a distance. <laughs> Again, what? You need to be in church. But uh, when I got bestowed as pastor of King's Cathedral, one of the things we do is we have the pastor, there's going to be a pastor, preach in front of the congregation. There's thousands of people. And uh, I remember one of the pastors, before I got up to preach, come by and say, hey, are you nervous? And I said, not any more than if I have to talk to one. Because the same God I needed to talk to one I still need to talk to a thousand. And he was faithful with the one. It doesn't matter to me how many people there are. Again, I'm not talking about myself. I'm saying the work that he did within me. He wants to lift your gaze. To lift your gaze. To lift your gaze. And I want to pray for something specifically when we were worshiping. I felt that there are people here this morning that there's been some trauma. There's been some trauma, very real trauma, and emotional things that have happened. That though you have faith in God, it's like you feel disconnected. I know I said I was going to tell one more story than one time ago, but there was a lady in our church, and she actually, because of um, family, she had moved, and then she moved back. But because of COVID, she's an elderly lady. Just stayed home. But uh, during one of those two years, eight of her family members died. Two of her sons died. And she's a Holy Spirit-filled lady, loves the Lord, full of faith. And she shows up on a Sunday morning and comes up for prayer and says, Pastor, I just can't. I've gone through so much, I can't feel God anymore. Don't feel His presence. Power God came upon her life. 
She threw up her hands. Hallelujah. I feel his presence. So I felt that this morning during worship that there's some, there's some here, you've gone through some things. And, and I'm, I'm not saying you don't love you love God. And I'm not saying you don't you have faith. But we can go through some things that, that cause emotional damage that hinder us in, in our ability to sense his presence and to receive his love. So I'm going to ask you to stand all across this place. I want to do this. If you want prayer this morning, maybe you feel like you've been in this season of suffering, of the season of, of being in, 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 the, in the brush, being in the ground, not being able to see. He wants to lift your head this morning. And I'll, I'll tell you this because one of the things that, that hinders church people often from coming up for prayer is I, I need to look spiritual. I, I go to the altar every chance I get. If it's even close, right? I, someone's got shoulder pain. My toe is hurting. Yeah. <laughs> Understand that when a word is preached, that there's a corresponding anointing to deal with that situation. When he reveals, he heals. So I want to invite you this morning, if, you, if you've gone through something, maybe trauma, maybe uh, just a difficult season, that, that you just feel you're in the weeds this morning. It's just, I, I, want, to, I want my head lifted. I want, I want it to stay lifted. I need to see over the grace. Because you know what's over there? I'm sorry. But you know what's over there if you can't see? Um, family healing. Uh, God's provision. Um, God's glory released in your life and in your village and in your family. But we can get so far into it that, oh, we can't see. So minister, how do you do that relates? I'll just let you do whatever you want to do. But I'm going to invite you to come. I want to pray for you. Please come. Please come. Please come. We're going to pray. Oh, he's going to touch you right now.